This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Take Me Home on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Angela Marcus, and thank you for joining us. Today, we're going to be speaking with Kathy Malcolmus, Chief Executive Officer of the Women's Animal Center in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. Joining her will be Jack Griffin, who's the Director of Shelter Services. Kathy, Jack, and their team are celebrating 150 years of progressive animal sheltering and adoptions. And many people don't know that this is the first shelter that is in our country. They also don't know that it has a very unique history, although there's a little clue in their name. Contrary to the time, the shelter was not started by men. It was started by a group of 30 passionate women who came together and pushed for a change in the way animals in their community were treated. They put in motion something that forever changed the history of animal welfare. And we have the honor of hearing that story firsthand from Kathy and Jack. We'll kick off our conversation in just a minute after a message from our sponsors. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Doggo Suds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Doggo Sud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Doggo Suds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Take Me Home on Pet Life Radio. And a big welcome to Kathy and Jack from Women's Animal Center and Ben Salem, PA. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. So first, let's talk a little bit about the two of you and how you got involved what brought you to the animal welfare space and why are you so passionate about the jobs you do? So uh, I'll start uh, dating myself a little bit. Almost 20 years ago, I actually bought my first dog when I was an 18-year-old kid. And um, I had that dog for a while, but it's too... Uh, when I met my wife, basically, we started volunteering in animal control in Philadelphia. And if I didn't have that dog, I'd say I probably would never have started doing doing that because he taught me a lot about kind of working with difficult animals. But um, I started volunteering in animal control, and, and I did that for about two years. And then when a role opened up for me there, um, I worked there. So I went, I made that transition from volunteer to employee, and then from employee to manager, and then from manager I came up here on the Women's Animal Center and, and made that final switch to, to director. So while we've had dogs our entire lives, I really have to credit my own first, the first dog I had on my own as a young, young man with kind of opening a door that not all dogs are kind of created equal, <laughs> you know? So it's been a different journey. I've been working in this field now for seven years, but if you combine my volunteer time, it's about nine years that I've been in animal welfare. Very cool. And Kathy, how about you? How did you get into this field? You bet. Um, well, my my entire career has really been in nonprofit management, and I have been with Women's Animal Center now for seven years and just made a connection with a board member here when they were looking for a new CEO. And I was fortunate enough to be hired by the board and came on 
It was for me a dream job in a way because I, my family growing up and, um, and then in my adult years, I have always adopted dogs from a shelter, from an SPCA. And I always sort of said, oh, when my, you know, when my family's grown and I have a little bit more time, maybe I'll volunteer at a shelter but didn't really think that it it would turn into a career path. (laughs) So it's sort of that lifelong love of animals and thinking, oh, I'll I'll volunteer one day evolved into an opportunity that's actually been an incredibly rewarding career over this past seven years here at Women's Animal Center. I, I love hearing these stories because it's so interesting how different people or how people come to animal welfare from such different paths and, and different things that inspired them or prompted them to get involved. And hearing both of you tell your story, it's clear that you both had this sort of this similar link that you have a passion for animals. And and I'm always so grateful when I hear these stories because that's the kind of people who should be running animal shelters, in my opinion. So kudos. <laughs> and I'm very happy that you guys are both where you are. Um, and I know you're doing some amazing work. So let's talk, too, about Women's Animal Center is, is a fairly new name. Where has the shelter come from? And we're going to get into the, the really serious history and, and why we're talking today. But give us a little more recent history. What what prompted the name change? You know, tell us a little bit about that. Right, you bet. So back in the fall, as we, you know, as we were planning for this 150th anniversary of our organization, uh, in particular, we wanted to do a new website and create some new, you know, collateral material. And in that process, we wanted to get feedback from the community, our clients, customers, folks who come into the shelter, stakeholders, you know, our donors and staff members, volunteers, and got a lot of feedback. And one of the things that came out from that feedback was that folks seemed as though there was some uh, confusion in our name. Our legal name is Women's Humane Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. That's our legal name. But I think there was something about women's humane society that folks got confused and thought we were providing services for women because there are there's a lot of organizations nowadays that are directed for women and have that title women's so it was a great opportunity for us to clarify what we do what our organization is about and really the facility in here in Ben Salem is a center it's a center for animals it's a center for the community we'll talk a little bit about the services we provide I'm sure it's a center for animals so Women's was important to keep in our name from the historical perspective. Animal Center really speaks to the services that we provide for the community. So we went through a whole whole rebranding, new logos, new website collateral material. Did that back in the fall, heading into the 150th. It's been a really well received. So we're pretty happy with how things have gone with that. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, and, I, and Jack, I want to hear your perspective too, um, but I have to say when I saw this new branding, I think I saw it for the first time on my Facebook feed or something, I, I just had a moment where I was like, that is so smart. Because really what's happening and what we're seeing as a trend in the animal welfare space is we're trying to get away from just bricks and mortar animal sheltering pound type you know, facilities, right? We need to be more of a community resource and a place where people can go to for help for all things. Jack, do you mind telling uh, the listeners just a little bit about the different, what makes you a center as opposed to just an animal shelter? Sure. So we do have a full service veterinary hospital attached to us right on campus. Um, and that is different than a lot of places kind of run a clinic, whereas we kind of, we do everything. X-rays, specialty surgeries, including like ACL repairs. 
blood work in-house. So it's not the same as just going to like a spay neuter or vaccine clinic. We additionally do dog training on campus as well as we have a partnership with Camp Bow Wow that's in Northeast Philly where we do offer some quarterly dog training classes there as well. And then we are the hub when people are looking for animals or when people can no longer care for their animals for where you can go for either resources, say they're moving and they don't think they can take their pet with them. And we have some resources about places to go or what to look for when you're moving um, or maybe they're in an issue with their insurance company and covering their breed of dog or something like that. We offer humane education. We have a Storytales reading program where kids from the, from the community come in and read to our cats. We also go out to schools in our community, educate them on the care of animals. We operate a lost and found page for the stray animals of our community that end up on their way here while they're lost and hopefully when someone's looking for them. And we do trap neuter return or just the neuter or spay part of that for our community trappers, but we also do People bring in community cats and we will do the surgery and the return. So return a field for community cats to hopefully bring down the population overall, but also as a community health standpoint of lowering the, the pop population of feral cats throughout um, Bucks County. All of the things that you just mentioned are so critical and it just it just exposes and shows us that this approach to helping animals and people in our community is so multifaceted. It's not a, there's not one thing that can be done that's going to fix the issues that we see in the animal welfare space. And the fact that you're providing all of these services to your community, to the pets in your community, and and really what I heard, all the things that you said are really with the hopes of, of keeping pets out of the shelter, which I always think is so interesting because people have this, this misconception that, you know, shelters are operating just to care for the pets in the shelter. There's so much more work going on that's really with the idea of keeping pets out of the shelter and keeping them in homes. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my hope would be put me out of work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not that I really? want to be out of work. But we like, love what we do, but. <laughs> but yes, if, yes. If, if we could keep animals from coming in, I mean, obviously yeah. shelters need to exist. There's a very real service that they provide. There's people that run out of options in a time that they just can't, you know, in a time sure. frame that they can't explore other other things or animals get lost they need a safe place to, to get food and water and, and be taken care of um, and not you know be stuck in traffic or out there in the elements but overall if if we could get down to a population where you didn't need me like that I would be if I, I could move on to another career because of that yeah. while I'd be sad that this wasn't my line of work I'd be very happy that this was not needed anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, when you look at the history of animal welfare and the strides that have been made in such a short period of time, you know, in reality, it's been 30, 50 years that we've really made some significant progress. But let's talk about the progress that happened before the last 30, 50 years. Kathy, tell us the story here. I'm dying to hear it firsthand from you about how this started 150 years ago, um, you know, coming up on April 14th. They're, you're going to tell us about what's going on that day. Um, give us the, the firsthand story of what happened here. You bet. So in the late 1800s, 1867, 1868, there were a couple of SPCAs that had been formed. One, of course, here in Pennsylvania, and our founder in particular, Carolyn Earl White, was very instrumental. She had befriended Henry Berg. She was a lifelong you know, lover of animals herself and, and came from a, um, a family that was very much a supporters of social reform. But Carolyn Earl White was instrumental here in Pennsylvania, wanted to be involved, but she was a woman and she could not serve on the board of directors and was encouraged to form a branch, essentially, of the SPCA 
And uh, she did just that. And in fact, on April 14th, 1869, they met in a home in Philadelphia. 30 women came together for the purpose of creating the women's, we were at the time, the Women's Pennsylvania SPCA was the name back in the late 1800s. And these women, SPCAs, I think when they first were founded, were very much about advocacy and, and changing you know, the thoughts around animals and the protection of animals. But this group of women really wanted to take action. And in the first year alone, one of the first efforts that they made was they reached out to the city of Philadelphia, the mayor of the city of Philadelphia, and asked to take over what was then the city pound or the city dog pound. And in the late 1800s, animals that ran the streets were just taken up and taken to the pound and not cared for and essentially left to die. And these women were outraged by that and petitioned to take over the, the city dog pound, which they that was approved. They were uh, so in our first year, we took over the city dog pound, thereby creating the first animal shelter. Our annual reports talk about how they even debated what to call this. You know, they didn't want to just call it the pound or the city pound. They were modeling it off of an animal shelter in London. And uh, that animal shelter, in, in fact, was called the Home for Friendless Animals. And they, they got some pushback on that word home, I guess, in, during those days that this is not a home for animals. And that whole concept and that word shelter is what they came up with, is, is what they created. So the city pound became the city pound and shelter. And that whole, that whole concept of animal sheltering began. We've got notes, you know, in regards to they really just wanted animals to have food, water and care and a space to roam about and have some space, you know, to move about. The other thing that they did in those days, the medical profession would come to the pound for animals to do medical experiments. And Carolyn Earl White is also the founder of the American Anti-Vivisection Society. You know, she corresponded with doctors and essentially put a stop to, you can't come, you know, you can't come to the city pound for a dog to do your medical experiments. And, and that society, the American Anti-Vivisection, we call them our cousin, you know, or our sister organization, Carolyn Earl White founded both organizations. And again, with that whole focus of, anti-cruelty, treating animals with kindness, you know, sheltering really grew from there. With the women also, the, the city of Philadelphia gave them property on what was Lamb Tavern Road in North Philadelphia. Um, at the time that was, you know, a bit of the country. Today we know it, it's close to 21st and Lehigh Avenue. So they were given property and city council gave them some funds to improve the facility and it really took off from there. And I'll just say a couple of couple more things. In that first year, they enlisted agents to go through to the city to inspect horses and examine their condition. They printed booklets and asked the city of Philadelphia public school district if they could distribute literature to children. And that was what became the first humane education program. They really believed that they could change how animals were treated by uh, teaching the next generation and teaching young people how to be kind to animals. They also proposed bills in legislature, one in particular asking that the number of passengers in, on city rail cars be limited to 30 because what they were observing were horses you know, going under by trying to start an, an excessively overloaded car. So 
they really, in those first few years in particular, you know, were very focused about what was happening in the city of Philadelphia. But the other thing that they, they did was they went to Pittsburgh, they started auxiliaries in the outlying counties of Philadelphia. And from there grew the animal sheltering movement here in the United States. And, you know, today there's over 3,500 shelters that operate. And as we know, billions of lives that have been saved as a result of their efforts back in 1869. I mean, these women are obviously or were obviously a force to be reckoned with. You think about, well, you know what, actually, we have to take a quick break. And then I want to talk a little bit about just really putting into perspective where this happened in history. I mean, the timing is just, it's just crazy. I mean, this wouldn't be crazy for a bunch of women to get together today and start a movement. But the fact that it happened 150 years ago, I mean, it's 50 years before women could vote. (laughs) It's just crazy. Um, Okay, so let's, we're gonna take a short break. And uh, we'll be right back with Kathy and Jack. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Take Me Home on Pet Life Radio. We're continuing our conversation with Kathy and Jack from the Women's Animal Center in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. Before the break, Kathy, we were talking about the fact that this all happened 150 years ago and really kicked off this movement that has changed. I mean, it's changed my life. It certainly changed both you and Jack's life. It's changed lives for all of these people across the country working in the animal welfare space and for billions of animals. Can you talk a little bit about what does that really say for where we've come from and where you think that the animal welfare space is going? Yeah, you bet. Well, I'll talk a little bit again about that history. I mean, here's Carolyn Earl White, you know, came from a you know, a family that was very social, social conscious. Her mother was a cousin to Lucretia Mott, but they didn't have the, women didn't have the right to vote. Yeah, it was 50 years before they had the right to vote. So they definitely, um, and we recognize the fact that, you know, in that, in 1869, they had the support of the men, you know, around them, their husbands, they had to, in order to, uh, in order to accomplish and, and begin, you know, what they started. So they had to do it with the support of, of men, but they went right to it. And, you know, they, they contacted judges, they, they contacted people in, in power to really change the thinking around small animals and the treatment of horses, of course, who were used for working purposes in those days. And they, in our scrapbooks, you know, there's clippings where they were not pop, what they were doing was not popular. And they got feedback of, you know, why are you focused on animals? Shouldn't you be focused on humankind? And uh, Carolyn Earl White's response was, but aren't we talking about humankind as well? You know, and how, how individuals treat others and treat other living creatures. So it was quite philosophical, I think. But again, here they are, you know, 
advocating for themselves in regards to their own voices and their right to vote. But here they um, they take those efforts about, you know, small animals and and the treatment of animals. It's it's really pretty amazing. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And one of the things I'd like to dig a little bit deeper on is the humane education that clearly started 150 years ago, and you guys are still doing it today. It's always been my opinion that it's one of these things where if it was just part of a regular curriculum for school children, that it would be so much more effective than a program here and there. I mean, obviously, it's great. And I know having kids myself, they love when they learn about animals, especially when they get to interact with animals. But what's your feeling on and what needs to happen with humane education for it to really be effective in, for future generations? Well, and before I was really involved in um, with the shelter, my understanding was there there were a lot of animal shelters who had humane education programs, and a lot of them have had to eliminate those programs because of a lack of funding. And that's unfortunately you know, that's always the case, you know, something gets eliminated because we can't figure out how to fund it. But I think over the years, there had been quite a bit of work done in schools and through community programs. We definitely, from our fundraising, you know, allocate portions to go into schools and to and to have school groups come here. We're very fortunate to have a facility here in Ben Salem. We were 125 years in, in Philly, and then moved to Ben Salem to expand the facility and expand our reach and built a, a facility here in Ben Salem 25 years ago. And we've got a great multi-purpose space. So, you know, it's, I think some of it is that just that commitment and the resources to be able to deliver the program. I think the openness of school administrators and parents, but I, I also feel very optimistic. And one of the things that we often talk about here at at Women's is we're always sort of amazed that after, on on the weekend, you know, on a Monday or a Tuesday, kids will come in with their parents with carloads of donations. And what we're seeing is, is this turn where kids are being very philanthropic and for their birthday parties on the weekends, they're saying, don't bring me a gift, bring a donation for the shelter. I don't think there's a week that goes by that we don't have a young person coming in with, you know, a car load or, you know, um, a truckload of donations for the homeless pets here at the shelter. So I'm, I'm optimistic that we've made a big difference in that. But yeah, it, making it a part of, of a curriculum would be would be absolutely wonderful and forming some of those partnerships with local school districts. And we've been relatively successful here in Ben Salem, for sure. And have gotten, you know, some creative art community programs coordinator really does a great job at, at figuring out what the teachers need and what the kids need and trying to, to create something that works for everybody. I've seen these stories come across my Facebook feed and, you know, through different emails I've received from all the different shelters we work with at Get Your Pet. And, and I, I love the stories of the kids who, you know, for their mm-hmm. bar mitzvah project, this is yeah. this is what they're doing. They're raising money or, you know, don't give me a gift or just donate for my birthday. Yeah. Um, so that actually leads us into one of the things I definitely want to get to here, which is we got this week coming up April 8th to 14th and getting ready to celebrate the 150th anniversary of the animal sheltering movement. What are you encouraging animal lovers to do during that week and and really going forward? I mean, what? how are we going to celebrate this with you? Right. Thanks. One of the things that we did in honor of this extraordinary anniversary was create an animal shelter day of service. So April 14th falls on a Sunday this year, 
But we're really encouraging shelters across the country and communities during next week through the whole week is reach out to your local animal shelter and give back to your local animal shelter. And that, and, and we know that's through a variety of ways. Everyone thinks, oh, you know, make a donation. They need supplies. They need dog food, cat food. Absolutely. It could be a donation of some kind. It could be volunteering. It could be coming out to adopt a pet. And we're offering adoption specials all week long and have an adoption event on April 13th to commemorate the anniversary. Or it could be a financial gift because, you know, we are all nonprofit organizations and and, uh, those funds go a long way to help care, provide medical care and then the shelter for animals. So we're really encouraging communities, individuals, groups, and local shelters to promote, you know, the Animal Shelter National Day of Service and contact your local animal shelter and find out what they need. And most of us do list those things that uh, we need from a donation standpoint on our websites. And we really hope people just really take a moment to thank their local animal shelter for the good work that they do and give back in some way. Well, I hope that uh, inspires everyone listening that if you've been thinking, I mean, I talk to so many people all the time. They say, oh, I I keep saying I'm going to do something. I'm going to get involved. If you've been thinking about it, if it's been something you've wanted to do for some time, now is the time. Celebrate 150 years of progressive animal sheltering with the Women's Animal Center and with all of us here in the animal welfare space. It's an exciting time. And, you know, one other thing you mentioned is maybe it's time to adopt a pet. And if that's the case, we might have the right dog for you. Because in advance of our our call today, I asked uh, Kathy to send me some information about one dog they'd really like to find a home for. And they sent us some information about a dog named Ranger. Jack, Kathy, can one of you tell me about Ranger and, you know, what type of, well, first physically describe him and then also tell us what what would be an ideal home scenario for for Ranger? So Ranger's like a lab mix. Um, He's like a sandy brown. He's around 60 pounds. But he's a little older than middle age. He's like in that between middle age and senior age for dogs. He's eight. He's lived with children in the past. He's been friendly with everybody here. He's been friendly during his um, interactions with dogs here. He just needs someone under, you know, like those senior senior animals. I did senior animal hospice care and, and whatnot myself for some years. Those senior animals sometimes need to be highlighted because they, they do need a special someone to step up, you know, someone who understands that you're, you're getting a bit of a trade-off. You're getting an animal that's already housebroken, that kind of knows the rules of the road. They're usually not high energy, but you're not going to have them for 10 years. You know, like uh, he is eight, he is a lar- at 60 pounds, he is on the larger side. He's not massive, but he is on the larger side. He gets around just fine, but he is an eight-year-old dog. So nice all around. He's a very sweet boy. He greets everybody, you know, pretty loose and, and curious about interacting. Yeah, but, I think his description even says something about he's a leaner. Yeah. So when you want more attention, he lets you know with a little lean on your legs. <laughs> well, you know what you said too. I think it's it's really cool to call that out because a lot of people they want to get a puppy, but you know you really couldn't pay me to get a puppy, Jack, because <laughs> I want to know what I'm getting. And I think it's it's so cool to be able to meet a dog and to meet that their real personality at that time the meetup and you can really see i mean i'm looking at a picture of ranger right now on my computer screen i can see he's just like a gentle old soul he wants to be snuggled on the couch he looks 
like he's just like super chill. And, you know, I, so if anyone's out there listening and thinks that it might be time to get a dog, Ranger might be the perfect pet. Now, Jack, did you say he's good with kids? What about other dogs? Did you say that? Um, his meets here. So, yeah, his reports from the previous home, he's been around kids. His dog meets here. He was friendly and, and interested. Obviously, there's no guarantee that that's every dog meet is very dependent on each dog sure. energy level and, and um, interest. But our, for what we expect is he's been interested, but he you know he's an older guy. He probably doesn't want to be jumped on. But every dog meet he's done well on, where we would think that he would enjoy his canine companionship. Very cool. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking the time today to talk about this upcoming 150th anniversary and sharing the stories and also talking about Ranger. And as all of you listening know, animal shelters operate as nonprofits and need our help to save lives. And that's no different here at Women's Animal Center in Ben Salem. So to make a donation to support their incredible work, visit their website at www.womensanimalcenter.org. If you have any questions about our show or have a suggestion for a guest or topic, please email me at Angela at PetLifeRadio.com. I also encourage you to subscribe to Take Me Home on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again to our guests, Kathy Malcomez and Jack Griffin from the Women's Animal Center in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. And also a big thanks to Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. Thanks to our listeners, and I look forward to chatting with you all again soon. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.